Hey Mary, you and so many other teachers are sending me questions about the MAP test. So today's episode will focus on all things MAP related. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We are passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy sold sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Reading Teachers Lounge podcast. I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary, and I'm a reading tutor. I have taught in all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training and have been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for more than 10 years. I love talking all things teaching, and I also believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn with all of you. All right, thanks for listening and welcome. So we decided to make a podcast about MAP. We decided to make an episode about MAP to follow up on our beginning of year testing episode because we work with school district that has MAP testing. And so we have just done it with our students. And I have been giving a workshop and teaching teachers in my district about about the MAP testing and Mary has had lots of questions, and other teachers that have gone to the workshop have had follow-up questions, so I thought we would just take a whole episode. I actually have a lot of parents who have a lot of questions about interpreting what does this score mean, what does this mean, does this actually, is this valid, does it make sense, how do I understand it? So I am really excited to learn with all of you guys today. I actually had all of those same questions less than a year ago. So we had, we're now two and a half years into MAP. And for a year and a half with the map testing, I had no idea what it was. And I really didn't like it because I was used to the STAR test and it gave a great equivalency score. And after using that for 10 plus years in two different school districts, I was very comfortable knowing how to interpret that data and where what to teach with students based on those test scores. Mm-hmm. And the map came on and something just got lost in translation with our training with it. And... A lot of teachers at my school and at other schools in my district were very confused about it and just weren't sure. I saw that so much, even with myself. I think when you start teaching for multiple years, you see the pendulum swing and another test comes down the road and another interpretation of something comes down the road and you're expected to become an expert in it all. And for me, I didn't feel like I was being adequately trained. So I can understand why the teachers were not able to really understand um, or be able to like re-explain and have the same questions that the parents are asking me and I'm sure as a teacher you were in that position yeah even the students had questions and so that's um, really so last fall um, so about a year ago we were starting year two with the map and I remember catching my principal in the hallway and really complaining about the test to her and saying I don't understand why one of my students has a nine-point goal improvement, and another student has 21-point goal improvement. That's so unfair. How am I going to get that student to improve by 21 points? And how can you hold my salary and my uh, teacher um, performance 
um, oh. standards, you know, accountable to the student's test score. The pressure is real. Right. Yeah. And I just was, I just said I didn't like it. And then fast forward to mid-year scores. And I still didn't understand a whole lot about it. And, but I was doing data conferences with my students. And one of my students was a very conscientious, diligent little boy. And he, I said, okay, you've got a score of a 178. And he looked at me and he said, what does that score mean? Is that, am I on second grade level? Am I where I should be? Am I first grade level? Am I third grade level? I don't understand what my score means. And I just put my pencil down and I just really looked at him in the eye and said, I don't know what your score means either, but we're going to find out. And that moment is what started me digging into the map data. And as soon as I started learning about it, I fell in love with the test. I learned more and more and, and liked it more and more and more. And so as I learned more, I shared it with my students. And then I started sharing it with a few teachers um, that I've worked with in the district. And then I've shared it at a couple of local conferences and workshops at different schools because every teacher, as soon as I share it, they just want to know more about it. I have to commend you because I think that the piece about honesty and talking with your student is so genuine and so important in building that bridge and the relationship with the student. But not only that, then you're modeling for the student, okay, I really am on your team and look at how... I'm working hard to help you succeed and work hard, and I am going to actually take ownership for this part of my job and really dig into it. And I think that a lot of teachers are so stuck in the place where, you know, they're they're fearful fearful of their administrators and and you know appearing vulnerable and not looking like they you know have a clear understanding. Um, for fear of being reprimanded for not understanding, I think that you have hit a, a really strong piece, especially in the district and in my experience with people, you know, who just are so overwhelmed and bogged down by all of the teaching expectations. One more expectation, especially something as important as universal screeners, specifically MAP tests. It's really commendable. I can't wait to learn more. Thank you. Well, I try to model lifelong learning for my students. And so if I don't know something, I say it. And then I show them and talk through how I research it, especially with the Internet, with so much information at our fingertips. My know. one more sage piece of advice is that I share with my students all the time is, guess what? The smartest people ask the best questions. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It yes. is true. That was one of the most smartest the most smartest. That was one of the <laughs> smartest students in my class, and it was a very good question that he asked. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, MAP stands for Measures of Academic Progress, and that already defines something because it's a test of growth. Mm -hmm. Unlike other criterion reference tests and things where it's just seeing what the kids know and if they're on grade level or not, this one actually shows you what the students know and what they don't know. And I'm all about developmental teaching and giving the kids what they need and not 
you know, teaching them at frustration level. And I really, what I love about the map is they're going to be assessed on the level they're on. So if they're in a fourth grade classroom, but they're on a kindergarten reading level, they're going to get kindergarten questions. Mm -hmm. And then they will be assessed to see if they make it from kindergarten level to first grade level. So, so it's targeted, it's targeted assessment so that you can target your instruction. It's adaptive assessment. And so the questions adjust as the kids answer. And so that just resonates in the whole philosophy of education. Yeah, me too. So um, it, the test is made by the Northwest Evaluation Association, and currently we're working on 2015 norm reference data. Okay. So it is comparing um, scores with a, a test group of, okay, this was the average growth for someone in that grade at that score. Mm-hmm. And um, the next piece I dug in after immediately after that student asked me that question was I just needed to have a working understanding of what the test scores actually meant. Mm -hmm. So the map scores are called RIT scores, R-I-T. It stands for some numbering scale, but now the NWEA people just say RIT stands for ready for instruction today because that's showing you at what level they're ready for instruction. Where is their instructional level? Oh, Got it. To teach them because their instructional level might not necessarily be their grade level. Oh my goodness, that is yeah, blowing my mind already. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, you can search online and find a lot of different tables of what actual score they should be at in August of a certain grade and in December, January of a certain grade, and at the end of a certain grade. And I have all those tables, and I was flipping through all those charts with my students um, when he asked me that question, but I just couldn't tell him offhand if a 178 was on grade level or not. So I needed to look at a little bit broader ranges of scores. Mm -hmm. So I sort of summarized the scores in 10-point groups because that's how the continuum is organized in there. We'll talk about the continuum in a minute. But this is what I came up with. Um, using the NWEA tables and a lot of other tables I found online, but I just needed a working understanding of scores within 10-point ranges. So 110s, 120s, 130s basically are below kindergarten. Mm -hmm. 140s and 150s are kindergarten. 160s and 170s are first grade. 180s are second grade. 190s are third grade. The early part of the 200s are fourth grade, and the later part of the 200s and into the two teens are fifth grade. And so the the points get a lot tighter as you get into the higher grade levels, and it's it's harder to get points improvement. And that's why the kids that are higher level have smaller goals. Oh. So that's why that student who had a nine-point goal, she was above grade level in my class last year. So she only needed to gain nine points. But the student who needed to gain 21 points was at the pre-K level, and they were, they were just asking me to get them into the kindergarten level. But because there's 50 ranges of points between the pre-K and kindergarten level, that's why he had a big goal. I see. Hmm. Interesting. So the math scores are pretty close to that, too. You can look for those tables online, and we'll link to them in the show notes. That was just a working knowledge, so that when that student said, what is a 178, then I could look at him and say, you know what? You're almost on grade level. You're just slightly behind. And so I've internalized those numbers now, and I can you know, quote them offhand. They're a little bit different than those norm reference tables, but it's a good working knowledge. That is good working knowledge, and it makes it much easier to think, oh, kindergarten, 140, 150. 
Okay, so let's see here. Okay, so who gets tested? In our district, we have kindergarten, uh, kindergarten through eighth grade uses the MAP test, and the kindergarten through second uses a test called the growth test, and then the third through fifth uses um, basic subjects. And so in kindergarten through second, we take a math and a reading one, mm -hmm. and then in the upper grades, they take a reading, a language, and a math test, and then there's also a science one. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. I I... We we do three tests a year. We do the beginning of the year, middle of the year, and end of the year, and it's looking for growth. So when you take it at the beginning of the year, MAP uses a norm-referenced comparison to set a goal of where they should be from fall to winter and then where they should be from winter to spring. So norm-referenced is when they're just comparing them to their own performance to themselves with other people who are common to their performance area. Yeah, so even if they're on a fourth grade level, if, let's say they're in a fourth grade class, but they're at a kindergarten ring level, they have data of other kids who are in fourth grade and at a kindergarten level, what kind of growth did they make right. in that grade at that score? Ooh, that's a good job. Norm <laughs> reference always throws me. I have studied it for a while now, but it is important. So this is where we're really looking at just the progress that they're making against peers who are similar to them. Yes, yes. And so, um, and they're looking to see, it, can the student meet their goal in the winter and can they meet their goal in the spring? Mm-hmm. And so how is it related to instruction? So this is where it really becomes key. I'm going to go backwards a little bit and explain one way that the score is calculated and then talk about how it's related to instruction, okay? Because this is the big aha that I did not realize until I started digging into the student. So when you get a score for the students, you get a reading score and a math score since I'm second grade um, and I'm part of the lower grade growth test. And I was just using that basic score to try to figure out what to teach them. So if I saw that they were at a, you know, kind of first grade score, I looked at some things for the first grade or if they were at on grade level or above grade level. But what I realized is that the score that they get is actually an average of some sub areas of the test. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is where I bang my head against the wall when I'm sitting in meetings and I'll say, I know that my really bright fifth grader is scoring really high reading scores, even though he has dyslexia, but his writing ability and his grammar knowledge and being able to actually um, you know, show what he knows through the written process now, is those are where the gaps are, but how come I can't interpret that from this score? And it's probably because there's a way to break down the scores. Yes, and it was a report I discovered. It's my favorite report. MAP has a ton of different reports for teachers, but my favorite one is called Class Breakdown by Goal. Mm -hmm. And so that report will actually show you the child's average score in parentheses, but it will also give you where they are located in that 10-point range uh -huh. for the sub-areas. So for kindergarten through second, the growth test, there are four sub-areas in reading. There's foundational skills, which is our favorite phonics. Our favorite topic. <laughs> and then there's language writing. There's reading lim literary and informational texts, which is basically fiction, nonfiction. And then there's vocabulary acquisition and use. Mm -hmm. And each of those four sub-areas is about 25% of the test. 
So Great. So then we can break the test down into those four areas and really hone in on where the instruction needs to be applied. Exactly. And so if a student is scoring, let's use that student as an example. So his average was a 178. So then I had to go on that report and really in those sub areas, he should be at a 178 or in the 170s in all four of those sub areas. Because if that's his average, and that's his typical performance. So he should be in the 170s. But in the real world, that's not necessarily true. No. So when you start looking at that report, and we're going to link to this in the show notes so you can, because sometimes it's hard to describe what we're saying. So you really need a visual. But when you look at the subscores, he might be in the 150s and something, and the 160s and something, and then the 170s and another year, and the 180s, and they average out to the 170s. But mm-hmm. really, he, he might not even be in the 170s in any one of those categories. So if I went to the continuum in the 170s, because that was his average score, I actually wouldn't be working on the skills that he's ready for instruction today yet. Exactly. I have uh-huh. to go to the area where for each of the subscores. And for most kids, once I started looking at it, it was different. They were all over the place. I had one student, the one who um, needed to get 21 points improvement. His goal was in the 150s. Okay, that's where I was trying to get him by the end of the mm-hmm. year. He started in the 130s. I was trying to get him in the 150s. His vocabulary score was in the 110s. Right. It was the lowest score you can get. He was an English language learner. And so I needed to get huge improvement in vocabulary in order to come close to getting him to his goal in the 150s. If I didn't really work on that vocabulary with him and just sort of generally worked on some of the areas where he was low in, he wouldn't have even come close to his goal. So you really have to figure out what their scores are Interesting. For each of those sub areas, because that's what's going to tell you what kind of instruction they're ready for with that RIT score. I think that this, you know, also we can generalize it with the math scores as well. But I also often see that when I'm attending a meeting too, that their math scores, they might be really good at quick computation, but have really poor algebraic skills. Oh, my geometry scores were in the tank. Right. And so I really worked hard on my geometry unit after I saw that. Right. And I actually had better test scores in math last school year than reading. Great. And the reason being is that I actually gave more weight to all my math sub areas. I neglected my reading sub area of language writing mm-hmm. and my score, students didn't make much improvement in that area. And so because of that, I had a lot of kids not meet their goal just because of that one sub area, yeah. even though they made huge improvements in foundational skills and huge improvements in vocabulary and the comprehension that language and writing is so important. So I've adjusted my teaching this year and I'm giving a lot more time devoted to the language and writing skills because each of them need equal weight. Mm-hmm. Well, what's really interesting about that is that it's really reflective teaching that you, you know, were taught to do so early in your pre-service um, training is to be so reflective about the teaching, but also, you know, you, you can look and say, oh, good, I, I see I put more weight in this area. However, I need to readjust my goals and change my instruction the next time I teach it. And that's kind of the blessing of a new school year. Or even if you're starting listening to this podcast right now at the beginning of the school year, being introspective and actually like really using the data to your advantage is what you're saying. This data is really valuable data. Mm -hmm. It's not just a test score that's on a sheet of paper. It really does tell you a lot about what the students know and what they don't know yet. 
And so the biggest piece after you understand the test scores is to go to the continuum. I've been quoting um, not the Godfather where they say go to the mattresses, but Meg Ryan in You've Got Mail when she says go to the mattresses and she does her little punching. Um, instead of going to the mattresses, go to the continuum because the continuum is everything with MAP. So what they have done is they have broken down all the skills at all those 10 point levels. And so if a student has, you know, a, a 20 point goal for the year, then you're going to need to look at two lists on the continuum. You're going to need to look at, you know, plus 10 points and then another 10 points, but they've listed every single skill and they've also listed how they test it. Oh, so they might, so like there's a sample question. They do have sample questions. Oh. And so they um, have some charts where they will actually show you how it, they're asked it. But on the continuum, the continuum has nouns and verbs on it. So it starts with a verb and it will, and then it'll list the, which is what they have to do. And then the noun is what they need to know. Oh my goodness, how wonderful for teaching the language of the test. So what I was what I was looking at today, I was looking at pronouns because we're about to teach nouns and pronouns. And I was looking at how the skill of a pronoun progresses. Yeah. And so at the beginning, let me pull it up. I'm looking at this chart that Shannon's looking at right now, and it, it says the sub area and then the verb of to do, and it has all of the verbs that you need to use um, that, that you write on the board every morning <laughs> for how you're teaching your students, and then the noun, what they need to know. And it's really wonderful and beautiful and easy to read. Okay, so for pronouns, at the very beginning... They might just need to use, like one of the things in the 150s it says, which is kindergarten level, is use subject pronouns. So use is something they'll, the test is like touch, you have to move things, you have to drag things, you have to fill in the blank, you have to listen to things, and it's a very interactive test. It's not just choose A, B, C, or D, multiple choice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so use subject pronouns. They're going to have to somehow maybe use it by choosing the correct one or using it to fill in the blank in the sentence. But then later, as you get higher, it says in 160s, which is first grade, it says detect errors in pronouns. Oh, interesting. So then maybe they're reading a sentence and they can correct what the pronoun uses. Exactly. And so those verbs are important. And so looking at moving forward to second grade, when they have pronouns, it says use possessive pronouns, recognize subject pronoun agreement. Uh -huh. So I'm sure, especially for your English language learners, when you are telling them how they're doing it, you're, you're actually like teaching them you know, the English nouns of what they're actually doing. They're just doing it on the test, but then when you're really teaching them specifically, then later on when they're actually testing, they're learning the language of the test as well. Yes, and actually MAP has a resource we can link to. It's called the Writ to Concepts list, and it will show teachers and parents and students exactly what words are going to come up in the question. So it might mm -hmm. have the word identify as part of the question. And so we are, as a school, working with that list to help our English language learners and other students make sure they understand, identify. 
on the kindergarten test on that list, um, it says estimate mm -hmm. in the 150s. So any student who is getting questions in the 150s is going to see the word estimate. So they need to know what that word means in order to answer the question correctly. Interesting. And so that's a helpful resource for MAP. This has been enlightening. Oh, wow. Shannon, you have a wealth of information here. I'm really curious to know a little bit more about how you break down the class and really focus on the targeted instruction. So I created a little document where I looked at the class breakdown by goal report and I looked at each of the subscores and wrote down, okay, this student is in the 130s for this, the 140s in this, the 170s for this. I'm just making up scores, but basically looking at each of their scores on foundational skills, language and writing, literary information on vocabulary. And I put it on one sheet of paper um, to disaggregate the data. And then I started to see patterns. So I noticed that most of my class was in the 160s and 170s in language and writing. And so I used that to help me inform my whole group instruction. So I'm kind of imagining like um, a, a chart that has five or six columns and rows in it. And then you just sort of like plugged in the students' names in each of those boxes. I did. Right? I did. Okay, so then you can see in each box, do those students have similar skills? And maybe that's the way that you make your small groups. I made my small groups. So I looked for whole group patterns and I looked for small group patterns. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I also looked for glaring, obvious weaknesses, like that sure. student who was 110s in vocabulary, which was so far away from his goal. I knew that I really needed to target that focus area. So I really worked with him on vocabulary. But I also saw small groups. Um, so I would make strategy small groups where mm -hmm. all the kids who were um, struggling vocabulary, maybe at a wide range of points, I'd pull them just to work on vocabulary sometimes uh -huh. and maybe outside of their regular guided reading group. But then also I looked at within the guided reading group that were on similar reading levels and I would see, did they have something in, in common or if not, I'd sort of rotate. I always do a little bit of word work before we get into the reading of the text. Sure. And so if I had two students who had a vocab weakness and two students who had foundational skills weakness, every other time I'd work on foundational skills for a few minutes or I'd work on um, vocabulary. And I looked right to the continuum. So I looked at what skills were in the continuum at that level so that I knew, you know, what kind of questions they would get. And I really don't feel like it's teaching to the test because our standards are so broad Right. that it's hard to define what it actually looks like. When we say students will read, you know, nonfiction and understand details, that's a little too broad to really get at what is it actually asking the students to do when we just look at our grade level standards. And so the continuum does break it down into what are those skills in nonfiction that they actually need. And so it informed that's... me as a teacher Wow, you know, that how is to design so lessons. helpful. When I was teaching in a resource room, I had a first grader, a third grader, and then some fourth graders. And trying to target those that skills instruction would have been actually so much more helpful than just listening to um, just just to uh, the specific Common Core statement, which is what I was working on. Yeah, I guess it was maybe four or five years ago. Prior to it, it, it made it really challenging, especially working with children on multiple grade levels. I'm going to read you just, since we're just using nonfiction as an example, I'm sure. going to read you some stuff from the continuum. Um, identify the heading in a text. Mm -hmm. Identify steps instead of directions. Determine the cause of a situation or event. 
determine the purpose of the informational passage, determine the purpose of the informational paragraph. So that tells me I need to work on both things. Distinguish fact from opinion. Draw conclusions from informational text. It gave me compare and contrast details in the informational text. So that helped inform the activities that I would choose. And also, I would do a lot of exit tickets that looked like questions of the test. Of, so I might ask them to distinguish which is the fact from the opinion. And I would give them some choices. Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds really helpful. There's so much information here. I am just in awe because I think it probably really transformed the way that you've been teaching. I'm just so impressed. My workshop is about three to four hours and we've just been talking for half an hour. <laughs> so oh. we've just sort of scratched the surface. I'm ready. I'm ready for more. This is great. And I know that this is definitely going to help all the teachers um, with their targeted instruction as well. So go check out the continuum. The, the map continuum. Yeah, and don't be scared of map. It's not just a test score that's on a sheet of paper. It's a test score that is meant to be used. And they are testing developmentally and expecting us to teach developmentally, which is just in my Wonderful. wheelhouse. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. That's why we got into this field. Exactly. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad that some positive light has been shed on map tests because we don't want to test our kids to death, but also we want to make sure that we're utilizing the data that we do have um, the way that it was intended. So I'm thrilled about this. Can't wait to talk some more. One last takeaway is just make sure the students, because it's drag and drop and touch things on the screen, a couple times the students think it's a game and you want to make sure that the students really take the test seriously. Mm. It takes about 30 to 50 minutes for them to take it. And I do a lot of talking during the test about telling them exactly that this test is for me to find out what is just right activities for them and not too easy and not too hard. And so I want them to do their best on the test and so that I get the right score for them. And so you don't want kids just clicking through and clicking through because if it's not valid information, then we can't use it for instruction. Very important, important point. That's, that's really but um, send us your questions. Um, oh, do we have questions? I'm sure. Yes, we'd love to hear more about the map testing, and we'll probably cover more in a future episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.